Amen and amen. Choir, thank you so much. It is always such a joy uh, to hear your gift. And so thank you so much for sharing that with us this morning. Friends, have you ever heard the expression, actions speak louder than words? Yes? Yeah? Maybe a few of us? Yeah? I mean, it's a pretty well-known expression. I think I've probably been hearing it since I was a kid. And I'm sure that there have been situations, both good and bad, that we have experienced when that expression came into play, right? Maybe you've had an experience with a person where uh, they told you one thing, they were telling everybody a certain thing, but then after they were done speaking, they went and acted a completely different way. Or maybe on uh, the lighter side, the better side, the more positive side of things, there was a person who let their actions speak louder and bolder than, than anything else, and they let their actions speak for themselves. Have you ever experienced either of those situations? Have you ever been in one of those situations? Can you remember how you felt in that moment, experiencing either the good or the bad? I think in today's world, it's really easy for us to just talk over one another, right? And not really hear what the other person is saying. Because so often, right, we've been told one thing and experienced another. And so sometimes it may be a little difficult to trust what a person is saying. And so I believe now more than ever that our actions matter. How we act, how we live day to day matters so incredibly much. And in today's story, uh, scripture passage, we see that Jesus finds himself in a little bit of a pickle, as Jesus likes to do, uh, when a group of Jews has asked him to plainly tell them if he is the Messiah or not. And in, in a very Jesus kind of roundabout way to the people, he tells them that titles don't matter. None of that matters. What actually matters is how you live. And so all of the things that he has done, all of the things that he will do, actually speak more to who he is and who he is in relation to God. And when they aren't really satisfied with that response, he just simply says, I and the Father are one. And so while this uh, response may be infuriating to some, it could also be very eye-opening. And so this morning, we are going to work together to see how we as Easter people are hearing the echoes of Easter within Jesus' statements. We're going to work together to see what Easter truths we may be hearing today and how we are called to live out every single day, letting our actions speak for themselves. And so this morning's scripture passage uh, it's from John 10, 22 through 30. Um, I invite you to follow along in your own Bible if you'd like, or feel free to sit it, just let it soak in and really try to place yourself there here in this part of the story. And so it says, At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God within us, for the word of God among us. Thanks be to God. Amen. So before we jump into the finer details of our scripture passage for this morning, I want to give us some overview, some insight into the gospel of John, because I always think it's a little helpful before we uh, get into those finer details. And the gospel of John is so good about revealing who Jesus is. It shares that Jesus is the true revelation of God and is the one who makes God known to all of humanity. And Jesus does this in hopes so that we, humanity, may find that restoration, that we may be liberated and transformed. And the writer of John wants us to know and believe that the word, big W word, so aka Jesus, uh, of God that was created by the heavens and the earth was created to take on flesh and to live among humanity. And so the Gospel of John is really, really good at diving deeper into showing us who God is in relationship with, to, with Jesus, but also who Jesus is to us, to us humans. Jesus refers to God 23 times as the one who has sent me. And so Jesus is not only the messenger of good news, but he is, in fact, the message. So he is both the messenger and the message. I also think it's really important before we dive into our scripture passage for this morning is to look at what's around our scripture passage. I always think it's important when you're reading scripture to look at what's come before and what comes after so that way it gives you some context to know how the writer was thinking of laying everything out to, to give you some context to work off of. And so this morning, right before our scripture passage, is the story of Jesus healing a blind man. And of course, there being some big controversy, a lot of arguments on whether or not it happened because the Jewish leaders didn't believe that it actually did. And then Jesus talks about being the good shepherd. And then we have our story from this morning. And then right after is the story of Lazarus, where, where Jesus is grieving so deeply because of the loss of his friend and then raises him from the dead. And so we'll get into a little bit later about why these stories are important to know um, of the front end and back end of our scripture passage from this morning. But I want you to keep those in mind as we start moving forward. And so now that we have this foundation to kind of build on top of, let's dive in. We see here in John 10 that there is a crowd, right? The crowd that's come around Jesus and is saying, tell us who you are. Tell us plainly. Because, you know, Jesus likes to talk in, in little riddles and uh, little, you know, parables. And, right, like, he likes to be a little sneaky sometimes, I feel like. And they just say, tell us plainly if you are the Messiah or not. And I love sassy Jesus. I love sassy Jesus. And it happens so often. But here especially, you hear it. You hear it when he says, I have told you, but you do not believe, right? Like Jesus being a little sassy there because in fact, up until this point, he has not told them plainly who he is. He has only told them of his acts and how that points towards who he is. 
And so it's not uncommon in the Gospel of John to find this theme. The writer of John is all about showing who Jesus is in relationship to God and who Jesus is to us, for us, through the works that he is doing. And so that's why so often miracles that are uh, talked about, shared with in the Gospel of John are referred to as signs because they are signs that point towards Jesus' divinity. They point towards who Jesus is for all people. And after seeing the signs, some believe, some still don't, but regardless, these are signs that indicate something symbolic. They are showing us who God is and what God is up to because God takes the ordinary and transforms them into something extraordinary and offers people health and sustenance and life. And so you remember, friends, the, the two stories that I shared with you, Jesus healing the blind man and uh, the story of Lazarus and raising him from the dead, right? We've got these two things, and the writer of John has laid this out perfectly, perfectly, because here we have in our scripture passage this morning, Jesus quite literally trying to tell the crowds, it is not who I say that I am, but it is what I do that will tell you who I am, right? And so right before we have Jesus performing a sign of healing a blind man, and then right after we have Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and so it is quite literally this signs sandwich is what I like to call it. We've got a nice little sign sandwich this morning. They are signs of healing and sustenance and new life and restoration and this, my friends, is how the author of John is trying to tell us, the readers, of what Jesus is trying to tell the crowds here in our passage this morning. The signs of his actions point to who Jesus exactly is. Jesus carries on to talk about how his sheep listen to his voice. He knows his sheep and his sheep know him. He says, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, they will never die, and no one will snatch them from my hand. And he's saying all of this to show them that they are not picking it up. They're not understanding. Maybe they're not paying close enough to ten attention to what has been going on around them. Because there is comfort in knowing that Jesus is the good shepherd. There's this understanding that comes with that. There is hope that comes with knowing that Jesus is the good shepherd. And if you remember also that I mentioned uh, the good shepherd when Jesus talks about that is kind of squished right in there like maybe a little bit of bacon or something on the sandwich, you know, just right there in the sign sandwich. He, he squeezes that in. And so again, he is just pointing back to something that he has already spoken about. And all of this talk about the good shepherd points back to Ezekiel. Um, in the Old Testament that is actually informed by the Psalms 100. So all of this is from the Old Testament because the writer of John believes that Jesus is the reality of the Old Testament symbols. He believes that he is the answer that it points to. And so there's an artist, Henry Oswa Tanner, who has depicted a few of the paintings um, of the Good Shepherd. And in his 1920 painting that you see right here, we see a, a shepherd a man carrying his lamb next to this chasm, to this valley, on this kind of bumpy road, right? And we see the sun high up in the sky, and yet this shepherd is carrying his, his sheep. Henry Oswa Tanner then did a painting in 1930 
And this one shows the scale of, of the, the chasm that now threatens to dwarf both the shepherd and the band of sheep. You now see that he not is only carrying one, but he has sheep behind him walking again on this path, on this trail with the sun and the sky. And so we see that, that the shepherd is braving the mountains. He's braving the valleys, braving the sun, the heat of the day with his sheep. And we see that they are not alone. The sheep aren't making that journey on their own, walking down those paths by themselves. The, the shepherd is there either carrying them or walking with them. And so here at the end of it all of our scripture passage, none of this has satisfied the people, as you might imagine. And so then, of course, here comes Jesus again, ready to just say, I and the Father are one. Now, can you imagine if you're already frustrated with Jesus not telling you plainly who you are, and then he says, I and the Father are one, you may not be too happy with that response. That may be a little bit infuriating or irritating, but honestly, this statement is one that again just points to who Jesus is when it comes to who he is in relationship to God and who he is to us. And so, what does all this have to do for us? What, how does this inform us to live our everyday lives here in the year of 2022? I want to share with you um, this belief that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had. He believed that grace was unearned. There's nothing, there's nothing that we have to do in order to receive God's grace, right? But, and also, we are called to engage in God's grace. We are called to live into God's grace, not just sit around waiting for us to experience it, but for us to live in God's grace. And so he taught about the, these things called means of grace. These are different things that we can do both individually by ourselves, but also within a community together. And again, these are not things that we have to do in order to earn God's grace, because that's the beauty of it. It's just ours. Whether we like it or not, it's ours. But these are things that will help strengthen us and allow God's grace to move in and through us so that others may experience it and know of God's grace and love for them. Some of these things uh, I want to share with you, some of the individual practices are reading or meditating on scripture, attending worship, sharing your faith with others, visiting the sick, feeding the hungry, giving generously. And some of the examples of the communal practices include sharing in the sacraments, learning together, uh, working towards uh, seeking justice and ending oppression. As I read these examples of both the individual and communal practices, were there things here at Arapahoe that maybe popped up in your mind? Were there things maybe here in our community in Richardson that maybe popped up in your mind that uh, you are either involved in or maybe that you have seen uh, offered? I know for myself, when I was preparing this morning's message and I was reading through that list of different means of grace, I was like, oh, there's that and there's that because there are so many wonderful things that I've had the joy of experiencing and witnessing here at AUMC. Things like our involvement with Austin Street, our partnership with Dobie Pre-K, our group Journey Towards Racial Justice, our time that we spend together, our students spend together in fellowship and mission, the work that our church does to truly welcome all people, 
the different and unique opportunities of studying and learning. And y'all, that's just the, that's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more that's around us. And this, my friends, is the type of work that we are being called to. This is the type of work that Jesus is inviting us into to let our actions speak for themselves. And Jesus here is the greatest example of what that looks like. Because for Jesus, love is an action. When we abide in that kind of love, that love that is an action, that is a verb, that's more than just feelings and emotions, we can experience true, true, deep joy. We're able to do these things because Jesus is working in us and through us. And through these things, we are not only made one with Jesus, we are made one with God, and we are made one with each other. And so through our scripture passage this morning, through that lovely signs sandwich that I mentioned, through the shepherd, through the means of grace, friends, do you hear the echoes of Easter? Do you hear the echoes of love and hope and new life and restoration? There's been a lot, as there always seems to be, uh, going on in our world this week. As the war in Ukraine continues, as women's rights are being threatened, today being Mother's Day that can be filled with so many emotions for so many different people, as we all continue to find our new rhythm in, in the midst of COVID, as there are deaths and births and everything in between, it can be difficult to hear the echoes of Easter. It can be difficult to hear those echoes of love and restoration and hope. But I'll tell you, friends, God is calling us, each and every single one of us, out of our tombs into action. God is calling us out to be a part of this work because God is bringing about new life every single day. And this morning, as I wrap up, I want to share with you all one of my favorite books. It is Love Does by Bob Goff. If you haven't had the chance to read this, I invite you to. It's a very easy read. Bob Goff is a, a really great writer. Um, and this one is such a fun one. The little blurb on the back says, what fuels his impact? Love. But it's not the kind of love that stops at thoughts and feelings. He is convinced that love takes action. Bob believes love does. Because when love does, life gets interesting. Each day turns into a hilarious, whimsical, meaningful chance to make faith simple and real. And so this entire book is made up of stories from Bob's life. And then he has a little, uh, a little line of a lesson that he learned from that particular story. And I want to tell you about one of the stories. It's actually the very first chapter, and it's called I'm With You. And his lesson is, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. And he shares how when he was in high school, he found out somehow that uh, all you had to do was actually just take a, a quick little test, and it'll give you a certificate that's equivalent to a high school diploma. And so he decides that he's going to take this test, and he's going to move to Yosemite, and he's just going to climb mountains, even though he's never rock climbed a day in his life. He's just going to move to Yosemite and climb mountains all day long, and that's what he's going to do. And so before he even knows how to sign up for the test, let alone take it and pass it and get the certificate, he's packed up all of his stuff. He's saying goodbye to one of his friends, Randy, 
And his friend Randy says, Bob, I'm with you. And he, Randy has all of his stuff ready to go. He packs up in, in the VW bug, and they are off to Yosemite together. And Bob shares the experience that they had when they were there of kind of struggling. And Bob comes to the realization that this was not the move. This was not it for him. And so they make their journey back home together. And he realizes when they get back home that through it all, Randy was there with him. Randy wasn't there trying to fix him or fix his problems or try to convince him to stay in high school and like finish things up, right? Like Randy wasn't trying to do any of that. Randy was just there to be with him, to live life with him, to experience all of this with him. Bob says, Randy didn't just say he was for me or with me, he was actually present with me. And through Randy, how Randy acted and showed Bob that he was there, um, he says this, what I learned from Randy changed my view permanently about what it meant to have a friendship with Jesus. I learned that faith isn't about knowing all of the right stuff or obeying a list of rules. It's something more because it involves being present. Perhaps that's why Jesus is sometimes called Emmanuel, God with us. I think that's why God, what God had in mind for Jesus to be present, to just be with us. It's also what he has in mind for us when it comes to other people. The world can make you think that love can be picked up at a garage sale or enveloped at a Hallmark card, but the kind of love that God created and demonstrated is costly because it involves presence. It's a love that operates more like a sign language than being spoken outright. It's a brand of love that doesn't just think about good things or agree with them or talk about them. What I learned from Randy reinforced the simple truth that continues to weave itself into the tapestry of every great story. Love does. And so I hope, my friends, this morning that we can all take a page from Jesus, maybe be a little sassy, Remember that sign sandwich? Maybe we can take a page from Bob Goff or even John Wesley. And may we be people who live out our faith every single day. May we be people who take action so that people know of God's grace and love. I pray that every day we may be able to see the way that God is taking the ordinary and turning it into something extraordinary. I pray that our actions may speak for us and show others not only who Christ is, but who we are. May it ever be so. Amen.